0: Welcome to Becoming Black, the podcast where we explore the black college experience by investigating ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized impacts on black college students. I'm your host, Jarrell Blackburn, and today's topic is Cross and Fagan Smith's model of black identity development and the theory of psychological negressance. My guest today is Ms. Doreen Dirac. She's a fourth-year Applied Physiology and Kinesiology major at the University of Florida. Doreen, thank you so much for coming today. It is a pleasure to be in this space with you, and welcome to the episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Doreen, I've known and worked alongside you for a couple years now, but for the listeners who can't see you or who may not meet you, how would you describe yourself, and how do you identify
1: so, hi everyone, my name is Doreen. Um, I'm currently in Gainesville studying APK. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. I identify as a black Haitian woman, and um, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And like I said, I'm studying here at the University of Florida, and I recently got accepted into the University of Florida Farm D program. Okay. So, I will be starting to find some school really soon. So,
0: yeah. Well, Doreen, it's a pleasure to have you on this. Uh, first and only episode. and uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you um, as you move on. Cross, Smith, and Payne describe Black identity as the passing down from one generation to the next, the learned experiences and identity activities that facilitate Black adjustment, and humanity under conditions often formed by race, racism, and the proactive dimensions of Black culture. Development is broken into six sectors, infancy and childhood, pre-adolescence, adolescence, adolescence, early adult, adult and and aggressence recycling. Doreen, we both know that black people are not a monolith, but have a number of unique experiences surrounding our own individual upbringing. So I want to talk with you about your own black identity development and kind of explore how you became black. So let's talk about your infancy and childhood development um, around black identity development. You know, these factors include things like family income, traditions and practices, uh, social networks, and even historical events. So Doreen, I'm kind of curious, uh, do any of these factors resonate with you? um, And if so, which ones and in what ways?
1: Yeah, so I would say um growing up Haitian definitely influenced um who I am today. Our cultures and traditions, my family made sure that even though I grew up in America, I never forgot who I was as a Haitian woman. So we always partook in um our New Year celebrations, our Christmas celebrations, and things like that. So that definitely played a role in who I am um as a Haitian woman and also as an American woman.
0: So it sounds as though you've had a, a significant positive influence. Uh, from your Haitian culture, mm-hmm. that really set a solid foundation for you as you've moved on from from a uh, childhood.
1: Yeah.
0: So moving into pre adolescence, you know this development is fostered through through our parents, right? We are products of our parents. Mm-hmm. You know, so through our parents' socialization, um, three identity types emerge: low race salience, high race salience, and internalized racism. And so. I'd love to hear more from you, Doreen. How were you socialized towards your blackness? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, my parents always reminded me to. Um, always be confident in who I am. They never really lacked in that area. I always knew I was confident, I always knew I was beautiful, and things like that. But one area that I do think there was a lot of low resilience was hair. Um, my family did value hair a lot, and um, they valued the length of it, the style of it, and things like that. So um, my mom put a perm in me, my sister's hair, I think when I was in the second or third grade. And it was permed up until eighth grade. Until me, me and my sister, we decided to go natural. And you could imagine the the drawback from my family members and the people around me because our hair was shorter. It was more coarse. It was darker and things like that. And mm. um, even to this day, my dad still calls me Dorian <laughs> because he said that oh no. I look like a boy in the time. But, yeah, um, that was definitely one area that um, – my family kind of lacked in kind of built a sense of low race salience within myself.
0: Mm. And so excluding your, your hair, it sounds as though you you would kind of place yourself in a in a high race salience category, right? Yeah. So man, that's that must be tough to kind of balance. How do you balance having all this affirmation and positive influence around yeah. everything else? And then this one thing right. where you kind of carry a low-race alien. How, how has that affected you?
1: Um, it's definitely made me more conscious and a little... Um, subconscious about my hair and the way that i carry and things like that but um now natural hair is more popular like my mom went natural my other sisters went natural and it's more popular in the media so um i definitely don't struggle with it as much because this is something that i see more often especially in ads and things like that like they're making sure to be more inclusive and um including yeah. all natural hair types so right. i definitely struggle less with it now than when i was like one of the only girls i knew who had natural hair hmm.
0: So it sounds as though you had a pretty positive influence from your from your parents. You know, um, they wouldn't be parents if they didn't make at least one mistake. You know, yeah. so maybe they kind of misstepped with with the the hair issue. But mm-hmm. but overall, it sounds as though you had a, a very affirming and 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 you know valuing culture mm-hmm. and community around you. So moving into adolescence, you know, this is the time <clears throat> when black children accept really without critical reflection uh, their identity that they've developed, but as a result of their socialization. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to know, Doreen, at that age, at this time for you, did you ever kind of reflect on your own identity and, and maybe call it into question?
1: Mm -hmm. So um, I came from a predominantly black elementary middle and high school. So during that time, I never really questioned who I was because people looked like me and I never stood out or anything like that. It wasn't really until I got to college or I would say even um, towards the end of high school when um, the beauty norms of the Western culture kind of came about where I started to realize like, oh, okay, um, maybe I'm not what's desired. Um, maybe mm-hmm. it's what other people think, like that's the way I need to look and things like that.
0: And what's been the, the impact uh, from having that experience?
1: It's definitely made me more subconscious about my hair and the way that it looks because it's not as wavy or it's not as straight and things like that. It definitely made me kind of question my dark skin, like um, maybe it's not as beautiful as people with lighter skin and things like that.
0: So it sounds as though you're you were pretty comfortable with with who you were even at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's a effect of just the affirmation you got from the community around you as well as your your siblings or mm-hmm. even your your parents. Yeah. Um so so moving into early adult this is a time when you're you're now out of the house, you know, you're off to college, mm-hmm. right? And um, you you are you are emerging as this young Haitian woman Mm -hmm. but now in a space that that people don't look like you Mm -hmm. and so in in this early adult uh, stage low race salience high race salience and internalized racism can can emerge again and so I'm interested to know now that you're in this new space at at the University of Florida Mm -hmm. a predominantly white institution Have you had to kind of wrestle through low race salience, high race salience and maybe even internalized racism?
1: I would say even now I think I'm still in the category of high resilience. I still find myself to be more confident and more beautiful and things like that. But one thing that I always end up back to is my hair. I do think I struggle with low race aliens with my hair just because it was not something that was valuable when I was younger. And even now right. watching the media, like um looser curls are still even though natural hair is more accepted, it's more of the looser curls than the kinkier curls and things like that. So right. that's definitely something that I still to this day struggle with. I'm getting better. I Wear my natural hair out more often and things like that, but um, it's definitely still a struggle.
0: So it sounds as though it was it was definitely a culture shock coming coming to UF, uh, especially from uh, a space that that most, if not all, people look like you and, and valued you and affirmed mm-hmm. you. Um, so I, I I would imagine that you're among um, a number of of black people that have to wrestle through that mm-hmm. um, coming from you know, spaces that look like them into spaces where they are the minoritized group. Mm-hmm. So moving into adult nigrescence, you know, this points to four stages. That's pre-encounter, encounter, immersion, immersion, and internalization. And so I want to kind of do a quick synopsis of each one and then kind of go back and, and talk about them individually. So pre-encounter represents two identity types. This is low-race salience and internalized racism. Which we talked about earlier. Um, Encounter occurs when black people um, experience an event that's caused a conflict in their understanding of of their racial identity. Um, This can be something like an unexpected situation or a traumatic experience that prompts a turning point, whether it's a positive turning point or a negative turning point. Um, Immersion, immersion um, also has two developmental processes. Uh, Immersion is this strong pro black all-black, all-day identity, um, being very deeply rooted and immersed in black culture. And um, immersion is sort of a a transition out of that, saying I can be pro-black and all-black, all-day, but also consider the identities outside of mine um, as valuable and and support them as well. Mm -hmm. And so going back to um, pre-encounter, you know, you, you've talked about this before, but I want to just kind of touch on it again as far as you know, low race salience and internalized racism. So, so now, as as an adult, um, as an adult Haitian woman, ha- have you had to kind of come back to these these things that you carry low race resi- uh, salience in or or internalized racism? Well, I
1: don't really struggle with low race salience. I think I've just kind of gotten to a point of confidence where I know who I am it would just be like um the everyday struggles with my hair and things like that
0: and so moving into encounter you know again this is those unexpected situations that can be traumatic or or just kind of prompt a, a negative turning point or even a positive turning point point. and so I'd love to hear your thoughts or experiences around encounter
1: I will never forget this day, so I think this had to be my freshman or sophomore year of college. Um, Me and my family, we went on a family vacation. It was me, my three sisters, two brothers, and my mom and my dad. And we were walking towards a food shack, and at the time, my sister had braids in her hair. And this white woman comes up to my sister, and she just starts, like, petting her hair, like, just going kind of, yeah, just kind of going through it and touching it and things like that, and no one really said anything, and at the time, I wasn't as educated as I am now to know that that shouldn't have happened, so we all just kind of stood there very awkward, and she, like, um, I just, even though I didn't know that it was wrong, I knew that I felt uncomfortable, yes. um, I felt like, almost like a zoo animal, like, um, oh like gosh. I'm this majestic kind of creature. That was definitely something that kind that kind of pointed me in a way where I knew like okay this is not okay and um, I need to educate myself more on like the situation and what to do and what to say and things like that.
0: I'm so sorry that happened to your sister and also mm-hmm. the the impact it had on you. Yeah. Just as an observer and also just you know being family but being sort of frozen and un- unable to respond. Yeah. I I cannot wrap my head around just the the entitlement or or just the 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 level of privilege mm-hmm. white a white person thinks they have um to come up and and begin touching someone else's body mm-hmm. you know like it would be inappropriate for for myself or or anyone to touch anyone's body like like below their neck right, right. like that's there's, you know, that's like sexual harassment. You know, mm-hmm. that that's that's very serious consequences. But mm-hmm. for some reason, white people believe that it's okay to to touch someone's hair. Yeah. You know, someone's body above their neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's obviously inappropriate. Yeah. It's obviously um, just. Just ignorant,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: And 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 it has a lasting impact, negative impact on on not just the person's hair that you're touching, but also the people around them. Mm -hmm. So moving into immersion and immersion again, this is these two identity um, development processes. Immersion is that strong pro-black, all-black, all-day connection to black culture. And immersion is that you know, value of the authentic um, self and black identity, but also um, realizing that you can also you know, equally value and support the non-black identity. Mm-hmm. Right? But I want to hear from you, you know, what's been your experience with immersion? Are, are you the pro-black, all black all day, I'm voting for everyone black, or, mm-hmm. or somewhere in between?
1: Yeah, so I'm definitely pro-black, voting for everyone black. Like, if there's a TV series, an award to show, and I don't know anyone on the voting list, I'm going to vote for the person that I know who's (laughs) black. So that's just something that I've always practiced, but that's not exclusive to um, any other group or anything like that. Like, I'm not... I'm not trying to exclude anyone who's not black. That's just who I am and what I've grown and what I've seen.
0: And then what about um immersion? I'm hearing you say that you're you're definitely pro black, all black all day. It sounds as though you, you balance the two well. Yes. Both immersion and immersion. Right. And then finally, you know, nigrescence recycling. And so as as you've moved through these these sectors, you know, you're you're moving from 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 childhood to adolescence to adult, you know these these things continually come up. It's almost cyclical that mm-hmm. we're in a sense be- becoming black, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a good foundation from our from our adolescent years and childhood years, but it's not as though we've kind of gained everything and we're done, right? We're yeah. always kind of re- refining and practicing and adopting and reconsidering and and, and all over again. But again, I want to hear from you. How, how has this looked for you? How have um, your experiences and self-concepts been modified to fit where you are today?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say the more I become educated on Black history, on Black identity, things like that, my ideas and visions of being, I guess, Black kind of change. I'm definitely more confident in who I am. I'm more supportive of Black people. Around me, whether that be in art, dance, writing, and um, different things like that. So yeah, the more I educate myself and become more self aware of my black identity, the um, I would say the more confident and um, supported I become of those around me.
0: Yeah, and so what, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, it, it's okay to kind of call um, call our blackness into into question. Um, if it's not being our authentic selves Mm -hmm. right so like not all black people are athletes yeah right Um, like I can be black and love rodeo yeah right like I can be black and and love line dancing right so it's again it's nigrescence recycling is this thing of of thinking through and reconsidering and and sort of being okay with being your authentic self as Mm -hmm. a black woman, me as a black male, um, how would that look? Cross's expansion of the Nigrescence Theory also emphasizes the daily lived experiences of black people, which are broken into five transactions. Buffering, code switching, bridging, bonding, and individualism. So, Doreen, we've talked a lot about your black identity development from infancy to adulthood, but I want to focus now on what it looks like for you as far as daily life. You know, theory teaches me that um, black people often experience uh, five transactions each day that's buffering, code switching, bridging, bonding, and individualism. So I'd love to kind of move through these with you and, and talk about your experience regarding each one. Mm-hmm. And so let's jump right in. So buffering, that refers to sort of a protective strategy used to shield ourselves uh, from uh, a negative response or racist or oppressive interaction. So I'd love to hear from you if you often find yourself having to buffer situations or can recall situations where you maybe you've observed buffering.
1: I've never personally experienced buffering aside from the time with my family um, when we went on vacation, but I saw this video um, online and this woman, this black woman, she usually wears weaves to work. And um, one time she decided that she was going to wear her natural hair and she has this big, beautiful black afro. And she walks in the front door and her white co just like instantly gravitate towards her and they start like playing in her hair, kind of like they're looking for something. And I can wow. see in the video that she was definitely uncomfortable and in distress, but she also didn't know what to do. Maybe um, she didn't want to come off as angry. She maybe needed the job, so she didn't want to put that in jeopardy. But I could see it in her face that she was very much in distress and, un- and uncomfortable.
0: Wow, uh, I can I cannot imagine the the level of of just powerlessness that that woman felt yeah. um, in that situation. Uh, that. Oh, that's awful. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, black people often have to buffer their response, particularly black women, because if you if you respond "quote unquote" too much, mm-hmm. then you're seen as that angry black woman. Yeah. that you're seen as a, aggressive, mm-hmm. or you know, or just the list goes on. And so, I, I'm I would imagine that woman in that video is considering that as well as the financial ramifications, mm-hmm. if her response doesn't go well, right. she could lose her job. Let's talk about code switching. I, I know that you've heard this term before, and I'm, I'm positive that you often do this with, within your own sphere and, and circles. But code switching is this transaction that black people successfully maneuver through um, larger mainstream and black culture life. And so it's kind of this bicultural competence. But again, I want to hear from you, how has code switching kind of been your practice, um, especially in a space where you are not the the majority?
1: I know many, many instances where me and others around me, we unknowingly code switch, and that could just be like a mechanism to kind of fit in into larger um, spaces that don't look like us, try to sound like the norm. So yeah, that's definitely been something that I've struggled with, especially um, starting you up as a freshman and not really being the majority not really knowing how to be my authentic self in different spaces but um, that's definitely something that I've tried to cancel and um, not practice and just learn to be myself, learn to sound like myself because at the end of the day this is who people are gonna get um, right. once I get once I get the job once I make that friendship and things like that
0: and it's it's definitely a skill that we use to, you feel safe in a, in a, in a space, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't want to be the other and, and feel as though you are being threatened. And so you kind of sh- shift the way that you operate to, to mm-hmm. kind of fit in, in yeah. a sense. It's, like, it's kind of like the same idea of like a melting pot. Yeah. You know, let, let me just blend in. But it sucks because we're, we're often asked, maybe not indirectly, to, to not be our authentic selves. Mm-hmm. From buffering, uh, they move into... Bridging, And this is the ability to foster close and meaningful interpersonal relationships with with others, others meaning like non-Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I, I would love to hear from you just, I'm sure you're doing this or, or you can at least observe opportunities when this has happened, times when this has happened. Uh, but but tell me more about your experiences with bridging. I
1: personally don't have any experiences with bridging, and it's really not in um, an exclusive way. It's just because the opportunity never presented itself. But right. I've watched my friends kind of bridge those relationships with non-Black people, and it's definitely made them more inclusive, more open, um, and just more kind of, I guess, friendly and kind to people who are not Black. So it's definitely something that I want to put into practice when I go into pharmacy school and, and beyond.
0: And, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about bridging, that just is a practice by black people that allows us to have equal access to something, right? Mm -hmm. And so historically, white people have had and black people have not had. Yeah. And so I I would imagine bridging gives us an equal playing field Mm -hmm. because historically, white people have money, black people do not have money, but yeah. if we kind of build those relationships and and rapport and, and collaboration, we will then at least have an opportunity, hopefully, mm-hmm. to, to have that access to you know education or wealth or property. The, yeah. the list goes on. So let's talk about bonding. Bonding refers to this um, central kind of daily enactment that black people use to remain connected and grounded with black uh, social and cultural life and so i I'd, I'd um i'd imagine you you, you yourself uh, based on your your history and your foundation of just uh, of like mm-hmm. just a uh, uh, positive black experiences you you, you probably practice this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me more about that.
1: For me, it's just always remaining true to who I am, always um, being humble and knowing where I came from and where, and where I am now, and also trying not to code switch. That's something that i have been to practice every day because, like I said, at the end of the interview, at the end of the friendship and things like that, you're going to get who I really am, my true right. authentic self. So it's really just remaining true to who I am in every situation.
0: And uh, what about any sort of uh, either media or social media or literature you kind of ground yourself in black
1: community in those spaces? Mm-hmm. So I'm not big on social media. I'm not like super active or anything like that but when I'm watching movies and things like that I'm more of a content person as long as the content is great I'm going to watch it. I'm going to engulf myself in it. But I do find myself gravitating more towards things that have black lead actresses or produced by a black person and things like that. Like right. for example when Queen and Slim came out I wanted to watch it twice because I wanted to support um, financially but also Show support and solidarity with my community. Like that was very very big. That you had two dark skin lead actor and actress and things like that. So right, I do right. find myself gravitating more when I see that um, it was produced by a black person or there's a black lead and things like that.
0: Wow, you know I have not seen Queen and Slim yet, but it's on the list.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna
0: watch it. I promise.
1: It's a great movie.
0: Um, and so finally the the last daily interaction is uh, individualism you know this is where black people are being just their authentic selves and they Mm -hmm. they express less of a collective affinity toward um, other black people meaning that they're they're okay again being their authentic selves not Mm -hmm. having to sort of fit the the mold of what quote-unquote black is Mm -hmm. and so again I I just want to hear your thoughts around that how how is that been for for you getting to a place of individualism and how, how does it look in your daily life
1: for me personally i love hip-hop i love my r&b but i am very big on christmas when really? november first hits the christmas music playlist comes out <laughs> from you're one november of those 1st <laughs> Like, I'm very big on the holidays. I just love the way the holiday kind of brings the happiness out of people and things like that. Like, my family will be that family that has the <laughs> yard full of Christmas decorations. You have your baby, your baby Jesus and your Mary. You have your Santa Claus. We're just going to, like, fill our yard with Christmas things. So, yeah, I'm very okay. big on Christmas music, the vibes, you know, on Christmas and things like that.
0: All right, so I have to ask you, is is Mary and Joseph and Jesus going to be black?
1: <laughs> yes, for sure. All yes. black all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: I love it. Critical race theory teaches although colleges and universities are no longer racially segregated by law and discrimination based on race and ethnicity is illegal in the education setting, Racial microaggressions, which are everyday accumulative acts of hostility, ignorance, and discrimination, have a substantial negative impact on climate and the experience of students of color. So Doreen, I want to touch briefly on critical race theory. You know, in short, this teaches us that um, things like microaggressions and, and ignorance or discrimination um, have a substantial negative impact on um, campus climate or student experience. Um, and so I want to kind of just hear from you, how would you describe your collegiate experience as a black woman?
1: For me, it was definitely a culture shock. Like I said before, I came from a predominantly black elementary, middle, and high school where I was the majority and I wasn't judged for my skin color and things like that. And then I came to UF being one of the only black students in the classroom. And I realized like, oh, okay, like I am a dark-skinned black woman and things like that. So that definitely mm-hmm. um, kind of played a role in my mental and like how I thought of myself in my college years.
0: And I would imagine that that maybe fosters a bit of that imposter phenomenon, right? Yeah,
1: for sure. That's definitely um, something that I struggled with because um, just being in the classroom and things like that and answering questions intelligently and people kind of like, oh, like you knew that, you understood that and things like that. So it definitely kind of played a, played a role in my imposter syndrome and how I thought on myself.
0: And so tell me a little bit more, how um, have you seen those differences between, you know, you as a minoritized group um, versus those of your majoritized peers?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely what I said before. It kind of uh, played a role into my imposter syndrome. Even getting into pharmacy school, I kind of felt like, well, did I deserve it? Did I work hard enough and things like that? So um, it definitely came from my peers and um, how I thought of myself. But aside from that, like the faculty and um, my um professors and things like that at UF, they never made me feel that way. So it definitely was more so my peers and the people around me. Mm.
0: Well listen, you you got into pharmacy school, you worked and earned it
1: yes. based on your
0: <laughs> intellect, skill and Thank dedication. You. So um that, that that imposter nonsense, get out of here. <laughs> So Doreen, I, I know that we're about to wrap up in a bit, but I want to ask you just one more question. I know that you are quite involved within um, the, the uh, UF community and even greater Gainesville area, but I want to kind of just touch on that because I feel like this is a, a significant part of your sort of becoming black story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me more about the student organiza- organizations you're involved in or things of that nature.
1: My two biggest involvements are in my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, as well as Sisters, which is a community service organization. And um, basically, my thought process for pursuing these organizations had a lot to do with community and sisterhood, because like I said, I went from um, being the majority to being the minority in um, these in white spaces at UF. So it was definitely for me to find that sense of community, find people who thought like me, who maybe had the same financial issues or had the same right. ideas. Right. issues and things like that so right, right. Um, that's really why I joined these organizations but um, more specifically for AKA it was about legacy um, because back home a lot of the people that I know are AKA's my mentor she's a pharmacist and um, my mom's also an AKA she's an accountant and I also know other AKA's who work in real estate and things like that so it's also building that legacy of a successful black woman that um I can do it, and you can do it as well. You can be successful no matter what people think of you and things like that.
0: And so what I'm hearing is there's there's been a significant um, influence of maybe like mentorship. Have you had those opportunities to mentor younger women? I was in
1: 2019, I believe. I became a mentor under um, BSU um, at UF, and it was one of the greatest things that I've done so far, watching um, my mentee kind of Grew up kind of like me being kind of self-aware and um, self-conscious and um, space that you have to being more mm-hmm. confident and being um, more confident in who she is. Like now she's an RA and she's um, had so many leadership positions. So it was actually one of the greatest things I did so far.
0: Wow. I, yeah. I, I love that. Each, each one, teach one, you know, Yeah, right. I love that. Well, Doreen, that is all the time that I have today. Um, But it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. It's clear that you take great pride in all of your work, both academically and professionally. And I wish you nothing but blessings for the remainder of your undergraduate career uh, through pharmacy school and beyond. We're about to wrap up, but I want to give you the last 10 seconds to do any kind of shout out, say some final words to our listeners.
1: Yes. Um, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I hope this project goes well for you, but to the listeners to always be unapologetically you, always remain true to yourself, and always do things that make you happy. Peace.
0: This episode was produced by Jarrell Blackburn. Our theme music is by Freddie Joachim. To keep up with all things Becoming Black, be sure to subscribe and check me out on Twitter, at Blackburn That's B-L-A-C-K-B-U-R-N-J-E-R-E-L-L. Until next time, take care, everyone.